you. Bless you, bless you. I love being here with you and Jade, Christy, and your leadership team. Uh, you're in good hands. How many of you are glad to be in good hands? <laughs> As I was opening this, uh, you know, it was a little tough. Ladies, I want to just console you. My wife has got a thumb that doesn't work all that well, kind of sprained. So I'm her constant professional can and bottle opener and package opener. Now, I, I may be 73, but I'm not that weak, actually. And when I get to try and open some of these packages, I say, you know, I'd really like to meet the people that put this stuff together. <laughs> Because, you know, I'm a pretty strong guy. And you ladies being given this stuff, how many of you know it's wrong? <laughs> it's just wrong. So I thought I'd share and empathize with you this morning. I came to share uh, on a subject which I hope I get to but I am used to being ambushed by the Holy Spirit, which means frequently I prepare notes and then the Holy Spirit says something to me, usually doing worship. You may watch me sitting down. It's because I'm trying to hear God. How many of you know God inhabits the praises of his people? That's a real verse. So I will listen to worship and try and hear what the Lord is saying to me. And frequently, I will be putting together my sermon from Jade's chair to this pulpit. Now that may sound intimidating, but I've gotten used to Jehovah Sneaky, and some of you know what I just said. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, something that is a great challenge, and then I hope I get to this. So, Lord Jesus, have mercy and help us. Uh, I just came back from Europe. I was there last week uh, doing a business seminar with a lot of business leaders there, connected with some of Bill Johnson's group that is into all of that. Uh, I have a background in business, a background in economics, and public policy and all that kind of stuff. And part of what I was uh, doing there was teaching on a unity meeting uh, for Switzerland and Europe. And I've put many, many months, uh, if you would add up all the time that I've been in Europe, it would be, you know, maybe well over a year, uh, over, the, over the years, and uh, I was blessed to be raised in a home where our dinner conversations were about public policy. My father was a CPA, but he was really a frustrated history teacher. And uh, my mom was bright. And I was, for the call that God has on me, uh, our conversations were about world issues and world affairs, uh, which I'm not bragging, I'm just saying I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I believe God, even before we knew him, and in all circumstances, God is trying to do something with us. Can I get an amen? amen. So, uh, I've read a lot of books of history, read some books, certainly not like Hank, but quite a few books on military strategy and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so when I first began to engage Europe and Germany in particular, I was very interested to see where the German psyche was after everything that happened in Europe. And again, we've never, well, we did. We had a civil war, which was the largest loss of life this country's ever sustained. And it not only divided us, uh, it, it killed hundreds of thousands of people and it was a tragedy, but really nothing in comparison to what Europe went through. Uh, my parents took me to Europe when I was 13. Uh, that's the, you know, my mom was into history too and planned a trip and for three months we traveled all over Europe, which again, 
for a kid just coming out of the seventh grade, that was a big deal. Now, well, I can't go into all of that. I was going to say I wasn't fully sanctified, and it was interesting. As a 13-year-old, I passed for an 18-year-old so I could drink beer over there, and I thought that was really great. Now, please don't suck air with what I just said to you. I'm trying to be... How many of you believe church is where we're supposed to be real? So... In any event, World War II, there was still rubble in many places in Germany in 1956. So I'm just trying to say that the world of that stuff is something that I live in. Now, I want to I give you a word. Uh, it's, it, the word is, the word for the day is anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic. There's probably some of you that know what the word anthropomorphic means. But I will save you the embarrassment of those that you may not. Anthropomorphic means trying to make God who I want him to be. Now, you have never done that. But it is, it is one of the, I want to, you're going to all say it with me here in a minute. This stuff that's going on with terrorism and gay marriage and a whole host of social things is going to be exposing the body of Christ to a potential, a lot of division and a lot of challenge because all of us in our fallenness Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, we're being redeemed from fallenness. Being redeemed. In our fallenness, we will always try and make God to be who we want him to be. Can you say amen if you understand what I'm... How many of you know that the essence of our fallenness is our self-centeredness? When I was lost in Berkeley in the 60s in the revolution, very much involved in all that stuff because I have a passion for justice and the civil rights movement in particular radicalized me because we weren't the nation we said we were. And of course, never having been in the South as being a football player there, I was around players from the south and when I found out what was going on in the south I got very angry and uh, racism is still not eradicated can I get a witness okay so that radicalized me and when Christians would witness to me usually they turned me off because what I heard is what I call baptized self because all they talked to me about was what Jesus did for me, 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 me. And as lost as I was, I understood that if there was a God and I needed to be saved, he would save me from myself. Do you understand what I just said? He would save me from making self the center of my life. Now, how many of you know there, all of us, to greater or lesser degrees, are not only anthropomorphic, that is trying to make God serve us the way we want him to serve us, and we are in the process of being delivered from our selfish little self who manipulates and attempts to control everybody else for our own benefit. Now, God is the opposite of that. Love is the opposite of manipulating people to serve you. 
Can I get a witness? How many of you believe church is to be the place of truth? We come here to worship God, to study scriptural truth, and to deepen our relational connections with one another. Okay, I don't know if you know why you're here and what you're supposed to be doing. But we're here to worship God because worship changes us. How many of you know God is not an egomaniac? He doesn't need worship. We need it. There is something in the process of worship that is a washing in us that is trying to wash out the very thing I'm trying to describe, which is self-centeredness. How many of you know you're in when in worship you lose you and you finally get out of you? And worship is not because God needs it, I need it. It is recentering me in somebody bigger than me. Are you breathing? Now, how many of you know there's an inner resistance in all of us that doesn't want to acknowledge somebody or something bigger than us? Some of you trying to look like you don't understand what I'm saying. You lying dogs, you do understand what I'm saying. You do understand. Now, anthropomorphism is something that the leaders in the body of Christ are going to have to deal with. Now, we have a challenge as leaders. I came here this morning wanting to be your friend. I really did. I want, to, I want to teach on spiritual authority in Jesus out of Philippians 2, which is sacred. Um, if, when I touch that chapter, I want to take my shoes off. I'm serious. But as we were worshiping, I said to Jade, when you guys got up and brought up Paris, I said, Lord told me to do it if you didn't. And that shifted me. Now, I'm, I'm going to stretch you for your good and our good. I am deeply concerned, scale of 1 to 10, a 10, on how unprepared the body of Christ is for what is going on right now. Because... As anthropomorphic Christians, we've got all kinds of views about who God is based on our nature and our calling, our gifts, and our ignorance. And you put pressure on us because we are supposed to be the voice of truth and the voice of redemption in a world that is fallen apart. We are the answer, not the Republican Party or the Democrats. Now what we don't like about that is we think Jesus has delivered us from needing to think. All I have to do is ask the Holy Spirit and he'll tell me exactly what to think. There's only one problem with that. The Holy Spirit has to work with what you gave him. Why do you think you're supposed to be scripturally aware? Why do we read the Bible? Because we're putting stuff in us so the Holy Spirit can use it to tell us how to live. I know, I've memorized the whole Bible, well, whoopee. I wonder if you know how to use any of it. 
I wonder if you're living in the reality of this verse is that phenomena you are now experiencing real time in this moment. I wonder if you heard what I just said. The, the prophetic interpretation is Peter saying at, at Pentecost, this is that Bible verse now being fulfilled. By the grace of God, I saw that pretty on early in my, in my walk. So as I have lived day to day, if I'm on my game, all day I'm looking for scripture to be fulfilled from event to event. I'm trying to connect present tense reality with the scripture. Raise your hand if you understand what I'm trying to say. Good for you. A very bright friend of mine asked me one day years ago, Dennis, has God ever done things you're embarrassed about? Anthropomorphic brothers and sisters. I are one. Let me give you some examples. Before I do, I gotta, I'm not trapping you or tricking you, but I am moving you to where God wants you to move. How many of you know Jesus Christ is the one Moses was dealing with? No man has ever seen God. Moses saw Jesus in his pre-incarnate form. Jesus has been, now is, and will always be the one of the Trinity that has been directly assigned to work with humanity. That's why he's the head of the church, the creator of every human being, which means he made you. Now, we like, because we're anthropomorphic, to take Jesus in bits and pieces, especially from the New Testament, because he's a lot nicer, it appears, in the New Testament than he was in the Old Testament. I'm busting your game, people. How do you like Jesus commanding Moses and his sidekick? Joshua, to destroy every man, woman, and child as they began to move into the promised land. Would your God do that? He did. You look at me like now I'm using four-letter words. I'm as serious as a heart attack. My view of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, has got no place in my anthropomorphic view of who I want God to be instead of who he is. And so do you. See, the problem with having to grow up is the scale of your thinking has got to reach to try and understand why does God do the stuff he does? You've been messing here. I know I met with some of your leaders yesterday. You're dealing with death. How many of you know death is real? Part of the problem we're in right now is a substantial part of the church doesn't believe that evil is real. We don't believe evil is real. The Muslims are going to help us. Can we play hardball this morning? 
because I love the body of Christ and I want to see Jesus exalted in his people. Which means we're going to have to learn to serve him as he is, not as we want him to be. Jesus plays hardball. I was stretched by that issue many, many years ago. My problem was I brought my brain into my salvation. Why would God do that? And, and I can't get into that real deep, but I'll just say this. Triage, anybody know what, here know what triage means? It means in a crisis, saving the ones that can be saved and walking away from the ones that are going to die no matter what you do. And that's hardball. I've never been in a triage situation, natural disaster, but I have friends that have been and come to a situation where you assess this person is going to die in the next 20 minutes. There's nothing I can do. All I can do is say God's grace and mercy and go to the next one who if I put time into them, we can save them. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? How many besides me do not want to be in that situation? I do not want to have to make choices about who lives and who dies. But I want to tell you there's people that do that for a profession. My son-in-law is a respiratory therapist. He has the joy of turning off life support to help people leave. comes home, has a hard day, especially when he's got to do it for young people. I don't want that job. I, he's got the grace. To, how many of you know you need grace for some tough jobs? If you were God and not you, and you are looking fast forward to thousands of years of civilization that you want to model your will in those future generations and you've got a pagan people that are so debauched in where they are in their view of reality for the sake of millions you will remove hundreds of thousands from the earth because you're trying to plant something that can model what you want This is not, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Are you with me? I know you came here to feel good. My responsibility is to help you see God the way he is. I understand the responsibility. I like to be liked like anybody else and I want to make you feel good but I have a greater commission from God than to make you feel good. And I understand that. Evil exists. Deal with it. We living in a postmodern world and those of you under 20 or 30, on one level, I'm closer to being home than you are. But I'm very concerned for your generation because you've got a generation of people that want you to feel good rather than know the truth. Evil is real. And evil can be done in the name of God. In fact, it's historically frequently been done in the name of God. Christians have done evil in the name of God because they were anthropomorphic. 
They were doing things and seeing things from the way we wanted God to be instead of the way God is. It means I have to know the word of God and the Holy Spirit who shows me how to apply scripture because scripture is alive, which means it's possible to apply it in a dynamic way. I could give you many examples in the scripture of God pulling up scripture and using it in a way I would never have imagined to use that scripture. Are you breathing? Some of you older ones understand what I'm saying. Homosexuality. There's significant numbers in the younger group here in the church that out of our love for homosexual people, which we should have, are drawing into the place where it's acceptable. It is not acceptable biblically. Doesn't mean we're trying to stamp it out or hate people that are gay. If we're gonna hate gays, we're gonna have to hate adulterers. If we hate adulterers, we're gonna have to hate fornicators. See, we're very selective about what we Christians wanna judge. Once again, anthropomorphism is alive and well in us. We pick and choose the sins we really want to oppose and give other ones a free pass. Welcome to the NFL. I've got a song, I'm, I'm like Conan the Barbarian. I resisted technology until I couldn't. And I've now got a cell phone and I just for the first time put music on it. And I'm, I fly so much, millions of miles, and I, I don't wanna work anymore on airplanes, I wanna relax. Usually they pour me on the plane and hope I live. <laughs> And I get to listen to my music, and my music includes guys like Bruce Springsteen singing in Philadelphia, which is a song about a gay guy dying, and I wish every Christian could hear it. It's a powerful song, not legitimizing homosexuality, but giving the perspective of a homosexual dying, and the reality of it breaks your heart if you have love. Am I legitimizing homosexuality? Not at all. All I'm trying to say is touching the humanity of where somebody who is gay is at without legitimizing what they're doing. Can you hear me? See, we're gonna have to develop the capacity of God to love people without validating things they do that are destroying their life. We're gonna have discussions now, looks like. Don't see how we can avoid it. We'll be back in World War II, Vietnam, and the wars that we've had in my lifetime have been, how do I say this? Complicated enough, it wasn't easy as easy to see the good guys and the bad guys. Especially when you know about some of the political, economic things that drive us to war that are more about the United States being an empire than justice. And I love the United States. But I love the Republic of the United States, not the empire of the United States. And friends, there's a difference. And we Christians are gonna have to learn the difference. I am a patriot, but I'm a patriot for the kingdom of God first and the United States second. So we grew up in the complication of Vietnam. I was basically a draft dodger during that time. I wanted, it wasn't, I was so far out of the game, it wasn't even a question, do I wanna go to Vietnam? I don't want anything to do with what I now see to be social reality, that's where I was taking acid and everything else. There's a whole ton of people like me. 
the debate over Vietnam, the debate over invasion of Iraq. Maybe easy the first one, not so easy the second one. All I'm saying is we have been conditioned with conflicts and now we're gonna have to deal with terrorism on a level that is gonna force us once again to deal with evil and war and self-justifying protection and invasion and it's complicated. The last uncomplicated one was World War II, which if we had not engaged, we would not be here today or if we were, we'd all be speaking German. And now we have to deal with violence in a real world. And where is God in that? And when do we defend? And when do we turn the other cheek? And if you think that's simple, you're simple. Because there's Bible verses on both sides of these issues, folks. And we wish there weren't. Because we thought when we came to Jesus, everything would be easy. That's what the evangelist told me. It ain't easy. There's Bible verses over here and Bible verses over here. And we say to God, make up your mind. And he says, I already have. I was a philosophy, political philosophy major. And when I came to the scripture and read John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I said, say what? You, you are making truth a person rather than a position? See, we want to be true but Jesus is a dynamic being dealing with a dynamic reality, which means truth is not relative, but it is expressed differently in different situations. And now you made it complicated. That's why he drove the Pharisees and the religious community crazy. Because he showed them what the law looked like in righteousness, not in robotic reality. And we Christians still want to walk like this. And God says, grow up. <sighs> and I don't want to grow up. I want an anthropomorphic God who will be like I want him to be. I don't want hell to exist. If I could be a universalist, which means everybody eventually gets saved, I would. But the scripture does not give me permission to do that. By the way, I do not believe God sends people to hell. I believe people go to hell out of their own choice. Because the presence of God is so totally distasteful because he is not who we want him to be and we are angry because he is not who we want him to be. And he did things in life we didn't want him to do. And we have attitudes against God. Therefore, why would we want to be with him? Hello. Hello. And if I was building reality, would I do that? Are you kidding? How can I measure my IQ against somebody who is so unspeakably intelligent. Any of you that study the human body or the complexity of physics and mathematics or anything dealing with the environmental complexity. If you think that just happened, 
by mathematical probability and time plus slime, I need to see you after this meeting. By the way, I do not call human beings slime balls, which is really what the evolutionists believe we are. It's a product of slime plus time. God is not the way we want him to be. When do you defend yourself as a nation? While praying for your enemy, how do you do that? I know SEALs. I know some Delta Force people that are Christians. What a challenge. Who felt called, if any of you saw American Sniper, I don't know where he was as a Christian, but I know that he had a sense of of being a patriot and he wanted to protect the nation. Misguided as he may have been, I can't judge his motives. Do you hear what I'm saying? How can I judge who God made that man to be? How many of you like me would like to see human beings stop judging about who's going to hell and who's going to heaven? That's Christ's prerogative, my friend. All I can do is look at what the scripture says and pray for the gaps that all of us have between the scripture and where we are. That's called love. It's called humility. I can't change God. I can't make him do what I want him to do. The name of the game is, I am the Lord and I change not. Those of you that think Jesus permitting the mass destruction that was going on when they came into the promised land, well, that had to be somebody else. But Jesus is on record in the New Testament as saying, I am the Lord and I change not. That was the same guy then that is here forgiving the woman in adultery. Deal with it. You say, how can I pull that together in one being? That's why he's God and we are not. Why do really bad things happen to really good people? As a pastor, I've had to deal with bad things. I've had to deal with girls that were abused, raped, whatever. I am a protector by nature. I have said more than once, I really wish I could have been there. I would have explained things. I had one of my son's soccer teammates get sliced up by a knife. I was aroused. Evil things. Now, I have to be grounded in the reality that God is God. And what he permits... He doesn't expect me to, to judge him. He expects me to submit and realize that if I was him, I would see why he has permitted what to happen and all the complex factors that are in play that I know nothing about as I bring my puny brain to the situation and attempt to play God and make a wise evaluation as to why he did what he did. Now that does not mean that we give up and we don't seek the wisdom of God for God, show me what you're trying to do. And the reason I want to know what you're trying to do is not just to bring me to peace so I don't accuse you, 
But if you can give me any wisdom to share with somebody that is being offended with you because of this, I want to help. Do you understand what I just said? I care about God's reputation. Puny as I am. If I can help somebody understand the possibilities of why he might permit something. I want to do that. Remember Jesus there? Talking about John the Baptist and his greatness, who he was. cousin after the flesh John and Jesus unquestionably played together as kids had to have close relatives where did Mary go when she was told she was pregnant to John's mom how many of you besides me have some questions you want to ask Jesus when you see him I've got a whole bunch of them. One of them is, I'd love to know what you and John talked about when you were playing together as kids and as you, you were reading the Word, they both totally steeped in the Bible. I want to ask Jesus, how did you feel when you discovered you were God? Don't worry, you will never have that experience. The brothers come and say, John has been beheaded. Did Jesus know that was coming? I don't know. But I know he immediately began to edify John and who he was. And he said, none greater of all the prophets is greater than him. And then he gave us this little lesson he said, blessed is he who is not offended in me. Because I know what the brothers were thinking. How could you let John die like that? When you, when you can raise the dead and do any miracle, and why would you let your cousin and this great prophet die? And then he says, Blessed is he who is not scandalized. The Greek word there is scandaliso, and it, what it means is it's a box that they used to put a stick. The scandal on was the stick that held that box up to catch birds, where small animals, they go in, kick the scandal on out, box comes down. Jesus, hear me now. Here's anthropomorphism directly addressed by the master. He says, there's a bunch of you right now offended that I let this happen. Blessed is he who is not offended in what I let happen. I've run into people all over the earth who were screwed up or screwed in some way, and I'm not trying to be vulgar, trying to be real. They got screwed in the church. And they'll never go back to another one. They are scandalized and trapped. Their growth is now limited because we're to grow in the context of the people of God, not by ourselves. Okay? I run into offended people. There's offended Christians who love Jesus. But see, some Christian who's not as alert in God as they should be, trash talking the gay community or whatever it is, take your pick. Every one of you's got things that you want God to deal with. And you see another Christian doing something stupid. When I watch Christians on television, I pray in tongues. You think I'm kidding, I'm not. I'm saying, Jesus, help us. 
I was glad Rick Warren got a lot of attention. He was one of the few Christians that I've seen on TV that didn't make us look like dodos. Forgive me, I'm just telling you what I see. Anybody else here holds your breath when a Christian has a mic in front of them? Because we're representing the Almighty. I want him represented as well as we can do. Okay? I'm near the end. Didn't get anywhere near Philippians 2. And authority means empowering people. Just give you a little. This, your philosophy of power determines the nature of every organization. And is our power to enable others or get them to serve us? That's a whole other discussion we need. I don't need to be here. <laughs> I love my wife. I've spent half my life away from her. I understand the military, guys. I've lived the military life. But I'm here because I trust this guy and his wife. That's why I'm here. I'm living in triage as my clock is getting shorter. And I'm very concerned about Christ's body and how do we manage the kind of divisions that can so quickly emerge in an anthropomorphic church where most of our preaching in most of the churches around the world is not dealing with what I'm trying to deal with now because we've been told to make people feel good because if you don't get people feeling good, your church won't grow or your finances will go down. You don't do to people what I'm doing to you. But I can't help doing to you what I'm doing to you because in the day of power and pressure, I want you to be redemptive in the body of Christ and to the people you know that think we're crazy. And I understand why they do. Anybody else in here understand why people think we're nuts? We've given them ample reason. So let me close. This is speaking to me too. The particular passions that God has given for you can be held and you got all the right Bible verses which is what makes the Bible dangerous. You got all the verses for your position. And somebody's got all the verses for their position. And you're passionate about your position. And they're passionate about their position. And unless you understand you're trying to reconcile Scripture from a God who thinks a lot bigger than you think, no matter how impassioned you are and how many Bible verses you have on both sides of the argument, God is on both sides of what you can't reconcile. And if your passion allows you to split, you're acting like a fool. Ouch. And the great challenge for all of us this is where the Holy Spirit's saying, people grow up. We're going to have to get large enough of spirit that we recognize we're not unified on some things that we can't get unified until we recognize God's mind and purposes are bigger than ours and both things can be true and be intention and not be wrong.
The priests did not go out to war. The warriors did. Different callings. Can you give God the right to put different callings on different people? I'm easily all in, because that's the way God made me, on what I'm all in on. My stretch is, Lord, can you make me all in on different positions in the scripture that don't look like what I want you to be on that side and recognize I'm fighting my own anthropomorphic demand to make God be what I want him to be when he's bigger than me and somebody else sees something with the same passion I see it and got Bible verses for it and how do we work together? Jesus said in John 17, the witness of his divinity on this planet is going to be largely verified by unity in the body of Christ, which means what I'm talking about this morning has got to get in all of us deep enough that we can live in the tension of a God who's bigger than the way we see him Acknowledge the validity of somebody else's view of him that is biblically based. Get up. And say, further along, we'll know all about it. Further along, we'll see why. But until we do, we're not going to do this. We're going to walk together until we hear. If you can be that in Colorado Springs, you'll be a beacon of light to the unsaved and you'll be an equipping center that will be unable to fit in a little bitty place like this.